Chapel, Mason City. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 30 through 33 is our text this morning. It says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. For the past two weeks, we've been learning what the Bible has to say about the spirit-filled Christian marriage. And the theme of this letter uh, to the Ephesians, it has to do with building up the church. And so the beginning of the letter has to do with who you are in Christ, what God has done for you. Starting at chapter 4 are practical exhortations, how the body of Christ should live. And then it gets very specific in chapter 5, and it starts to talk to wives and starts to talk then to husbands. And next week, it deals with children. And then the week after that, employees. And then um, so some very specific directions. In chapter 5, these practical instructions all center really around what you see in chapter 5, verse 18, if you'll notice it there in your Bible. It says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit is how the Greek would read. It's a continuous command. It's a command from God to you as a Christian to be continuously filled with his Holy Spirit. And that's kind of the precursor for the whole uh, chapter. Then if you look at verse uh, 21, Ephesians 5, verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, as spirit-filled Christians, Christians that are being filled with the Holy Spirit continuously, what that looks like then is what you see in verse 21, a submission one to another. In other words, all Christians should be giving others preference and willing to set our lives aside for the better of others. And um, I heard it said once uh, that nobody should look down on anyone in a church because everyone is looking up at everybody else. And that's the idea where it says in verse 21 of submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Christians are to have a submissive attitude towards one another. Now, the way that that looks in marriage, you see in verse 22, specifically to the wives, Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It has nothing to do with inferiority. It has nothing to do with the husbands being better than the wives. It has nothing to do with chauvinism or anything like that. The way that the spirit-filled wife submits to one another, submits to the Lord, is they submit to their husband. They arrange themselves under the authority of their husband. In the home, the husband is the leader, and the wife fulfills the supporting role. They are to understand that this is part of their obedience to Jesus. Ephesians 5.25 then talks about the husbands, and it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, the word love, where he says love your wives, is the word agape, and it's, it means a self-sacrificing kind of love. It's the same sort of love that Christ displayed when he laid down his life on the cross 
and gave his life for the church. And that's the command to husbands. Wives, the command to wives is they are to submit and respect their husband's authority as the leader of the marriage. They're to live the supporting role. The husband as the leader, as the head of the home, as the leader, his leadership is to look like sacrifice. It's not a lording over in a dictator sort of leadership. It's not, as you would call it in the corporate world, the the top-down approach with the guy at the top, you know, giving the orders or the, or the CEO, the guy, gal, whoever. It's not the top-down approach of leadership. It's the bottom-up approach of leadership. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you become the servant of all. And that's what he's talking about. That's what Paul says to the husbands is, husbands, you are to lead your wives by being a servant In verse 25, it says, just as Christ also loved the church. In the Bible, the comparison between Christ and the church and husband and wife in marriage, the, the connection is made many places uh, throughout scriptures of, of God's people being his bride and God being the bridegroom likened to marriage between husband and wife. Now, so you get the idea. The, the husband is the picture of Christ. He lays down his life for his bride. And then the wife is the picture of the church, who the church lovingly then responds to Christ's willingness to lay down his life. In verse 32 of our passage today, Paul calls this a great mystery. Just look at it there, if you would. Verse 32 says, this is a great mystery. He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's talking about marriage before, and then he says, this is a great mystery, but I tell you, I'm talking about Christ in the church. It's interesting, if you've been paying attention through chapter 5, how Paul has been weaving these two types of, these two teachings together. He's been teaching about Christ in the church, and also then he would weave in about man and woman and marriage, and it's it's almost interesting. I wonder, you know, if the Holy Spirit's just, I mean, of course the Holy Spirit's genius, but but the way that these two teachings are weaving together through chapter 5 are almost the way that husbands and wives are woven together. It's just brilliant. If you sit and observe it over and over the way, Paul goes back and forth between these analogies. He says in verse 32, he says, I've been talking about marriage, but he says, I want to tell you what, it's a great mystery. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. This mystery of human marriage being like the relationship of Christ and the church, I would suggest that understanding this is foundational to having a God-honoring marriage. To, being, to sustaining your marriage, to being able to live as you are called to live in marriage, I would suggest that understanding this is as a key. It's foundational to having a God-honoring marriage. Is there to be some sort of motive in marriage beyond personal happiness and fulfillment? You know, I think you probably realize if you look at the culture today, our culture defines marriage in such a way where it's just only really about personal fulfillment and happiness. And I think you see that reflected in the divorce rates when somebody's, they'll say, well, I'm just no longer in love with them anymore. And what they're really saying is I'm just, I'm bored, you know. I just, I'm not really into sacrifice. This isn't really doing it for me anymore, so I'm out of here. That's how marriage is pretty much defined in our culture. Is there some motive behind marriage that's beyond personal fulfillment and happiness? Those of us that are married know that it's hard to live as God commands. Where do we find the strength and the motivation when it's tough? 
I think we're going to see some of these things be, these will be answered in our message here today. Let me give you the main point. Because God has created marriage between a man and a woman as a picture of his love for the church, we ought to glorify him by fulfilling the roles that he has given us. We want to glorify God by fulfilling the roles that he's given us, but how should we be motivated? We should be motivated by the fact that our marriages are pictures of the gospel of God's love for his church. I'm telling you, when you're down doing some laundry and you're thinking, this person never does anything around here, I'm constantly cleaning up after them, how come it's always, you know, when your mind gets off of that and starts to think about, wait a minute, I am reflecting the gospel. I am living a living Polaroid, a picture of the relationship of Christ with his church. It, you know what? It takes on a whole different context, you know? Trying to pair up the missing socks takes on a, a whole different context when you're looking at it through the lens of the gospel. Outline's very simple. It's just three little parts here. Number one, uh, the union of the church, Christ, husbands and wives. We'll talk about that briefly. Number two, the great mystery of Christ and the church. And then verse 33, just a word of application to finish. So look what he says in verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So now Paul, what he's doing is he's turning the focus on the fact that we as believers are members of Jesus' actual body. As I sit and meditate on this truth, it makes me realize uh, that I'm important to God. You know, it's kind of an aside. It's not really in the context he's talking about marriage, but the Bible says that all Christians are actually members of God's body. Right? I don't know if you've ever been around a depressed teenager and they say, I'm worthless. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know what the point is in my life and all this stuff. Let me tell you something foundational. If you're a Christian, you are part of the body of Christ. That's a beautiful truth. You know, I understand with the world flashing all these temporal, attractive-looking things at you, that might not be very exciting to you. But eternally speaking, you are part of the Creator himself. That's a great antidepressant right there. In some way or another, in some organic way, we are actually members of his body. We're not just people that show up and do stuff and give him some money and, you know, do some rules. We're that closely, that intimately connected with Christ that he calls us part of his body. Some of us might be the feet, some of us might be the hands. Some of us are the mouth. <laughs> Good thing there aren't too many of those. <laughs> Why is Paul talking about this in the context of marriage? Well, I think let's back up to verse 22 and read to catch up to where we're at just to get the whole gist of it. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle of any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You see, Paul, in telling husbands to nourish and cherish 
their wives, he adds that this is what Christ does for the church. Why? Because we are actually members of his body. Because we're members of his body, he nourishes and cherishes us. And the picture is the husband is to nourish and cherish his wife. Before the analogy in that text that we just read was speaking of the headship of Christ, but now the analogy shifts to the oneness, Christ and his body, and the oneness of husband and wife. They are one flesh. Just like Christ and the church are united as one body, husband and wife are united as one body. Paul goes then back to the Old Testament to elaborate. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 2. I'd like to kind of just look at some foundational stuff about marriage here today. If you're not married and you're thinking, oh, well, this doesn't really apply to me, we're talking about Christ and the church, and we're talking about husband and wife, but if you ever plan to be married, if you ever, well, I guess you would want to be married someday, these things are relevant uh, to you. It's good for you to have an understanding of how marriage works. Genesis chapter 2. So you see, Paul, he quotes this verse um, back in Ephesians. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what he was doing was he was talking about how the church is one flesh with Jesus, and now he, that leads him to say the husband is one flesh with the wife. He's talking about this mystery of how Christ and the church are one flesh and this mystery of how husband and wife are one flesh. And so back in Genesis, let's just kind of get the history here. Genesis 2 at verse 7, it says, "'And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground.'" And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living, living being. So this is how man was created. In the Garden of Eden, God took some dust, some dirt, he formed it into a man, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that's how man was created. By the way, he didn't evolve over, you know, billions of years, uh, you know, through some uh, evolutionary sort of process. God says that he created man uh, out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils, and there he was. You might be saying, I have no purpose in life. I'm just a blob that came from evolution, and I came from monkeys. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you are actually closer to God than you would be monkeys. You're actually created in God's image. You're not just an accidental evolution uh, from a monkey. You might have an uncle that acts like a monkey. I don't know. I've had a couple of those. Now look at verse 18, please. It says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. You say, I was at Neil and Arita's wedding yesterday. We talked about this same thing. Yes, we did. It's important. Maybe God wants you to hear it twice if you were there. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Do you know that's the first time in the Scriptures that God said something was not good? All the other things He created, He said, This was good, this was good. Then He said, lastly, He said, This is very good. But then He said, It's not good that man should be alone. Now, some of you wives are looking at your husband right now and you're saying, it is not good that he would be alone. (laughs) This guy can't even make toast. (laughs) It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name, was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. He must have been a genius, right, to come up with all these names. You think about naming all the animals. Verse 20. So Adam, I'm sorry. 
yeah, so he gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs. And he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice carefully what is being said here. God created man, but woman was not created out of the ground like man and like all the other animals. You ever paid attention to that? All the other animals, man created out of the dirt, but woman was not created in that same way. Woman was taken from man. The, the part from the side of man, the word translated rib, a literal translation would be beams because it's like the ribs, like the beams. But it literally, some translations say out of his side. That is how woman was created. Woman was taken from the flesh of the man. And what Paul's getting at in this, the way he's using this is in Ephesians is this great mystery of how a woman is taken from the man but then brought back to the man in marriage and they become one flesh. He says this is a great mystery. God gives the definition of marriage right here, by the way. I don't know if you noticed it. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. That's how marriage works. God says it's between a man, a woman, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the man is no longer to live in such a way that his blood family uh, is his top priority. He doesn't live like that anymore. He's become a new unit with his wife. The wife no longer lives as she's under the authority of the home that she came from. She's in a new unit now with the husband as the authority. They become one flesh. Where that word in Genesis where it says joined together, it has the idea of being glued together to something else or welded to something. When you uh, got married, or if you're going to get married, if you're single people, you say, oh, I want to get married someday. Think about this. The way God you know, describes this here is you get glued together to that person right? I'm sure that's got something to do with why it's so painful when people divorce and when people split up. It's just such a painful thing. It can destroy a person's life. It destroys families, destroys children. Such a serious thing when God joins a man and woman together. He says they'll become one flesh. Just like Eve was one flesh with Adam, when you get married to somebody, you become one flesh with that person. People refer to this as leaving and cleaving. I want to talk about this marriage principle for a second where this leaving and cleaving where the family, you leave the structure of the family, the authority structure of the family, and then you're cleaving, you're connected to the a person you become married to. I want to just take this time just to give some very practical instructions here. Um, very practical instructions for parents. Some of you have uh, children that are going to get married, and I want to tell you that when your child becomes married, they are to leave the authority structure of your home and to, especially if you have a daughter, she, she becomes under the authority of that husband now. So parents, 
Um, in the nicest way, when your kids get married, you have to butt out of that. <laughs> you really do. A meddling parent, meddling parents have certainly destroyed more than one marriage. You are to point your children to the Lord, and you are to trust your children to the Lord. When they become married, you're to allow them to make their own mistakes. You're to allow them to mess up just like you did. And when they come to you and they need counsel, you should say, you know, you need to talk to your spouse about that. And then you two need to seek the Lord. And if you can't figure that out, maybe you should go seek your pastor, but you're no longer under my authority. And I refuse to meddle. Now, some very practical instructions for spouses, when you become married, you no longer live under the authority of any other relationship. No other relationship should have authority over your life. Wives, your parents don't trump your husband's authority. Husbands, your parents' opinions about how your house should be cared for. They don't come before your wife's influence. They don't, become, they don't ever come before your wife's opinion. You ever seen those kind of relationships? Where the parent is always... You know, the parent and the, and the person are always uh, deciding how they're going to do things, and, and it's just the authority structure is all screwed up in the house. That's not how it works. When you become married, you leave the authority structure of your home, and you two become one flesh. You become a new unit. You never are to live as if your family has authority over your marriage in any way. Now, it doesn't mean you're not to serve your family. It doesn't mean you're to move away from your family and not be involved and, and care for them and love them, but they are no longer the authority over your marriage. I will tell you, wives, if you say, well, my dad did it this way, you are setting your marriage up for bad stuff. Guys, if you say, well, I don't know, mom always used to make the chili like this, <laughs> you are setting up your marriage for bad stuff. The two shall become one flesh. Lest we think this verse is only about marriage, Paul goes further. Let's look at number two, verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. So he's saying this mystery about how you are one flesh with Christ, the church is one flesh with Christ, and husbands are one flesh uh, with their wives. He says, I tell you what, this is literally a great mystery. Now, when he says mystery, a mystery in the biblical sense, it's something that was not made known until God revealed it in the time of the New Testament. He doesn't mean it cannot be known. He means that it's only made known here and now. He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Paul is saying marriage between a husband and a wife is far more than what it seems. It's an illustration of relationship between Christ and the church. Now again, today the culture looks at marriage nothing more than something to bring individual happiness, but the Bible challenges that tremendously. And it says, you know this relationship that you're in, you're looking at the person next to you, the one sitting next to you here? Yeah, that one. It's, this is a picture of Jesus' relationship with his church. If you are showing an example of the gospel, married people, to, to the world, if you're, if you're showing an example of Jesus' love for his church and his church's submission to his leadership, if you're doing that, you are fulfilling that which God has called you to do. Now, nobody does it perfectly, of course, 
But if you're doing that, I mean, you know, I'll say this, it doesn't matter. You know, if you never hand out any Bible tracts, you don't knock on any doors, you don't ever preach a sermon, you don't teach a Sunday school class, you don't do anything else. If in your marriage, what you're doing is reflecting as accurately as you can Christ's love for the church and the church's love and submission to Christ, if you are showing that to the world, you are doing that which God has called you to do. How are some other ways that human marriage is like the marriage between Christ and His church? Well, in regard to origins, many see some parallels here. You see how God made the first woman by taking a part from the side of Adam? We saw that in Genesis. Adam's deep sleep, when Eve was formed from out of his open side, that's an emblem of Christ's death, which was the birth of the spouse, the church. Like Adam fell asleep and the woman was taken out, Jesus fell asleep in a sense. When he died on the cross, his side was pierced, water came out. A lot of theologians see a parallel between that, how Eve was created from the side of Adam and the church was created from the side of our Savior. Our relationship with Christ is like marriage in these other ways also. It's to be more than some surface-level superficial relationship. Christ wants a personal connection with His people. Can you imagine a marriage with no personal connection? Sadly, we've seen a few of those. Marriage requires communication. These are ways that our marriages are similar to our relationship with Christ. Marriage requires communication. Same in our relationship with Jesus. It requires frequent, adequate, two-way communication to be healthy and flourishing. We need to hear from Him in His Word, and we need to speak to Him in our prayers in the same way we need, we need to communicate with our spouses. Human marriages are like our relationship with Christ in the sense that there is to be unity and oneness. In marriage, the two become one flesh. Christ desires to be one with his people. Our marriages are similar to our relationships with Christ in, in that they, have, they require continual growth. Marriages require continuous growth and expanded understanding of one another to be healthy. Likewise, in your relationship with Christ, there needs to be continuous growth, continual growth. You need to grow in your understanding of Christ. There are some Christians that may have been Christians 20, 30 years, but haven't grown in their understanding. Can you imagine if you got to know your wife for like the time you were dating her while it was all exciting, and then you never, you know, didn't get to know anything more about her, and here you are 20 years later. You say, I don't know anything else about her. Some people treat their relationship with Jesus just like that. In fact, Paul talks about him in Hebrews. He says, I can't believe I got to go back again and talk about these basic doctrines. You should be moved on past the milk to the meat. I mean, we shouldn't be talking about salvation and baptisms and all this stuff like that. We, we should be talking. You should be teachers. Remember what he says in Hebrews? Our marriages are like our relationship with Christ in that, that they reflect this eternal commitment. Just like marriage is to be a lifelong commitment, our relationship with Christ is eternal. Our marriages are like our relationship with Christ in the sense that work is required. You see, in marriages, both spouses must work at the relationship if it's going to become what God intended. It should be a workshop. 
We do not work to be in our relationship with Jesus, of course, to get into it. Of course, He did all the work, right? He did all the work on the cross to bring us into the relationship. But we do need to put effort into the relationship if it is to become everything that God has intended for it. Just like marriage is a workshop, our relationship with Christ, we need to be putting work into that. Speaking of marriage being a workshop, it reminds me of the guy who got into bed to go to sleep one night and he says, honey, we're like sandpaper. And she slugs him and she's like, I haven't had time to shave. You talk about my... He says, no, no, that's not what I meant. He says, our marriage is like a workshop. We're like sandpaper. We rub up against each other, but we always come out smoother and better. (laughs) This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church, he said. Now Paul's going to conclude with an application for husbands and wives, our last point, point three. He says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He starts off with this word, nevertheless, and it's, it's interesting. He, he's kind of reeling it back in. It's, it's interesting what he's doing here. He's saying, you know, we have been going through weaving these two types of teachings together, this, this, these two teachings about the Christ and the church and husband and wife, and he says, we've been getting pretty, you know, heady and all of this stuff, pretty mystical and theological. But so is when he's saying, nevertheless, he's saying, let's just reel this back into something completely practical. It's good for you in your marriage to look at your marriage and say, yes, my marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church. You should meditate on that. You should think about that. You should let that color every area of your life, shape how you're doing things. I mean, everything from the kitchen table, you know, the, the bedroom, every area that should shape, you know, it's a picture of Christ in the church. But Paul says, nevertheless, don't get too stuck out in that stuff. Let me give you something very practical. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Where he says, let each one of you in particular. He has been addressing the body of Christ as a whole, but now what he's getting at is husband, wife. He's like, I'm speaking directly to you. I don't care what the world is doing. I don't care what everybody else in the church is doing. Let each one of you in particular, are you a wife? Are you a husband? He's talking to you. That's, that's what he's getting at right? The Greek's real strong there. Let each one of you in particular love his own wife as himself. Where he says, each one of you. Now, there are some people, some husbands that might say, I'm just not naturally the spiritual leader kind of person. I'm just not naturally a sort of person that does this. Paul would say, well, that doesn't matter because this applies to each one of you. Now, there might be wives that say, I'm just kind of not the submissive type. You know, nobody's ever been able to tell me what, you know, I'm not going to submit to anybody. Well, he would say, let each one of you listen to what he's saying. See, when the Bible makes commands on people, it doesn't really, you know, some people will say, well, you know, I'm Irish, kind of a fighter or something like that. God would say to you, let each one of you heed what he's about to say. Get aimed at this, husbands and wives. He says, love his own wife as himself. Husbands, you must let this command from the Lord to you get into your heart and mind. Where he says, love your wives as yourself. Gals, you're a Greek scholar when it comes to this one. You know that that's the word agape. 
and that he's to lay down his life for you. You're to love me as Christ loved the church. You're to put all my needs first. You're to completely sacrifice yourself for my well-being, is what they would say, spiritually, physically, and in every way. I don't know about you guys. This is a big challenge to me because I just want to do what I want. I grew up an only child. I, nobody told me what to do. I do my own thing. Um, this has been challenging, you know, um, putting my wife's needs ahead of my own all the time without fail in every situation, constantly. If I have something I want to do, I'm, you know, where I learn about it the most is on vacations. Oh, good grief. You know, uh, my wife and I, you know, I'm just, her mom's in here, so I'll keep it, you know, hello. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I learn about that, you know, and we get stuck, you know, we get stuck in these things. It's like, well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to go to a gas station and get coffee. I hate gas station coffee. I, you like gas station coffee? Who likes that stuff? Truckers like it. She likes it. I want to try to find the best coffee shop in the town. You know, I want to try to find, like, who roasts their own beans. I mean, do they have every single part of this process? Do they have the PSIs dialed in on how much they squish down the espresso in the cup? I mean, I, that's, I want to go there. Do you have your cups heated appropriately to where the espresso hits it? And, you know, you drink it within two minutes of the actual pour, the right crema. That's what I'm looking for, you know. And so three hours later, it's not time for coffee anymore because we can't figure out. But you know what I learned on this? I mean, I'm learning this more and more. There's much more joy in just doing what she wants to do. There really is. It sounds silly and trivial, but there's much more joy in just doing what she wants to do. It's, I, I find far more joy seeing her blessed and seeing her happy. And I just, gosh, I don't have this figured out yet. But men, your wife wasn't put here just to bless you and to do everything that you want. You were put into her life to serve her in everything, physically, mentally, romantically, emotionally, every single way. When you said, I do, you said, I don't to myself, to you anymore. so blessed that I have a pastor that helps me with this. I just want to say that right now. God bless him uh, for, for helping me so much. My pastor, Dave. It doesn't come natural, fellas, to some of us. But on the authority of God's word, his word proclaims to you, to me today, husband, stop living for yourself and lay down your life for your wife for her spiritual life, for her physical life, her emotional life, every single thing, you are not number one. God has called you to lay down your life for your wife. And let me say this as gently but as straightforward as possible. When you do not do that, when you fail to do that, you are proving that you are void of the Holy Spirit. Men, love your wives. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. It goes on to uh, the directions for the wife. Notice the words, see that, or see to it. Paul would call the special attention to the wives. Wives, you need to see to it. Now, I don't know 
why he put this strong language in there. I think, from my own experience, I think it is difficult for wives to submit to their husbands. And let me just give you my opinion. You can strike this from the record altogether. We, we talked about in the Garden of Eden how the curse happened in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about how that's the natural inclination of the woman is to try to uh, be contrary to her husband's authority. That's just a natural thing that you find at the base in our creation. You find husbands are naturally forceful and domineering, and you find wives are naturally rebellious towards their husband's authority. They think they can do things better. They see a better way of doing it. They're contrary to their husbands. That's the natural bent of all marriages. But I think one of the reasons why Paul possibly would say she needs to see to it that she does this, I think one of the reasons it's so hard is because women's intelligence level is, is a lot of times greater than a man's in the sense where they can see more. They just see more stuff. They see more of the possibilities. Husbands, we kind of like think in a straight line sort of, where they, you know, sort of, they can see all these different things at once. I mean, I've spent enough time with my wife to find out that compared to me, in a lot of ways, she's like a genius. I don't know how she does it. She does so many things. She, thankfully, she's not in here because then I would, you know, just don't tell her I said all this, okay? (laughs) And I see the way that she looks at me, and, and, and sometimes I could see where she would get frustrated because, you know, she has to watch me make mistakes that she wouldn't have made, you know? She has to watch me fumble around and try to figure things out like an oaf that I wouldn't, she wouldn't have made those mistakes, right? And this is why it's so challenging for her. This is why it's so challenging for you women because God hasn't called you to be the leader. He's called you to support this person that nine times out of ten you probably see things that they could have done better. So what happens when you disobey this command is you become one of these women that constantly second-guess your husband. You constantly challenge him. You challenge all of his decisions. You become very anxious. You become worried. You become discontent. You become detached. This is incredibly discouraging to a husband. If you're constantly challenging, second-guessing your husband, only bad can come of that. One thing that he could do, one possibility, is that he just eventually checks out and starts treating you like the man and starts to say things like, she's the leader, she's the leader of the home. That's a bad thing. Another thing that a man could do in response to that is he could just check out altogether. Just start saying, I'm just really not into this marriage. It's just, you know, what's that expression that people use? She's the old ball and chain. You know, boy, do you want to be called a ball and chain? Another thing you could do is you could just cause him to start second guessing himself, like you do, destroy his confidence. You ever been around a man with a destroyed confidence where he just feels terrible about himself? He doesn't want to try. He doesn't want to get engaged in anything. Wives, that can come from your voice. Let me tell you something. Wives, there's no more important voice than your voice in your husband's life. 
you can bring the best out of him by the things you say to him, or you can destroy him. It goes both ways. Husbands, if you constantly are asserting on your way, you're constantly pointing out the flaws of people, of your wife, you're constantly correcting her, you're constantly forcing her, you're going to wear her out. Typically, wives know very well what the husbands are supposed to be doing, and typically... Husbands know very well what their wives are supposed to be doing, but typically we don't take what the Bible says and apply it to our own lives. We're very good at pointing out how the other one isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Let me give you some practical instruction. If you're in a sort of marriage where this God's ideal isn't happening, you're not leading men and, and wives, you're not submissive, and you're constantly going at it back and forth with one another. The, the best thing for you to do is to start living as God has told you how to live, regardless if your spouse lives that way or not. You know, because there's a lot of, there, there are more than one wife in this world that would say, well, you know what, I would submit to him if he laid down his life for me, if he did, you know, if he, if he did what I thought he should do, I would submit to him. And there are lots of husbands that would say, man, if she would just respect me, then, you know, I would, I'd want to love her more. And it does kind of work like that. I mean, it does kind of work like that in a marriage. If a, if a husband feels respected and he feels trusted and he feels capable because his wife isn't constantly second-guessing him and tearing him down, that husband's going to step up more and more and he's going to do more and more self-sacrificing stuff because you're going to bring the best out of him like that. And then, you know, a wife, if she feels like she looks at her husband and says, this man will lay down his life for me, I know he would because he does daily. He lays down his life in a million ways for me daily. I see this. I trust him. Him, that wife's going to respect most times a husband like that unless she's broken, unless he's broken. And so that's when things are, are going well. But when, when there's, a, there's a book out there called uh, Love and Respect, and they, they've coined this term called the crazy cycle. But, but marriages can get into this crazy cycle when one will step back and say, um, well, I don't feel respected, so I'm not going to be loving. And he says, well, I don't feel loved, well, so I'm not going to respect. Well, listen, the best thing to get out of that is to find out exactly what the Bible's called you to do and to do that regardless of what the other person is doing. Well, what if I respect this guy and he doesn't lay down my, his life for me, he doesn't care for me like God said he was? That's between him and the Lord. But what God's called you to do is between you and the Lord. Well, what if I lay down my life for this wife and she never appreciates anything? She just continually, you know, challenges me all the time. She disrespects me. She makes me feel unintelligent, incapable. Well, that's between her and the Lord. But what God's called you to do is between you and the Lord. Very powerful verse if you wanted to wrap it all up right there. Verse 33. Love your wife as yourself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. just want to close with an encouragement that 
I brought to us a couple of weeks ago, and I, I just want to leave us with this again. Nobody does this perfectly, but if you're struggling with the right things, you're where God wants you to be. Husbands, if you are pretty frequently confessing to the Lord and asking forgiveness for the times that you're selfish and you don't lay down your life for your wife appropriately, if that's happening regularly in your life, it's a sign that you're struggling with the right things. You know, if there's apology going on in your marriage or you're, you know, I know I've been called to lay down my life for you, hon, but you know, it's a lot of times I've been selfish. I mean, uh, you know, recently we forgive me. If that's going on in a marriage, that's a sign that you're wrestling with the right thing, you know, vice versa. If the wife is struggling with these right things, I'm sorry I've been challenging. I haven't been respectful to you. And, and if you're wrestling with those right things, then you're going in the right direction. You know, if you're wrestling men with the fact that God has called you to be the spiritual leader of the home, if you're wrestling with that to be the best leader that you can be, you're struggling in that, you're, you're wrestling with the right things. Wives, if you're wrestling with the fact that you're called to be the supporting role and to be his helper, if you're wrestling with that to do that well, you're struggling with the right things. So be encouraged. Friends, God-honoring marriage is tough. You may be really challenged by what's been said here, but God defines marriage, not the world. Who in their right mind would follow the world's definition of marriage looking at the fruit that it's producing in marriages? You think about that. Who would follow the world's definition of marriage by looking at the fruit that it's producing? Friends, this is how God defines marriage. This world can't even tell which gender is which, let alone tell a Christian how they should live in their marriage. If you let the world define marriage, you're a fool, but if you let God define marriage, that's a spirit-filled Christian marriage. When it gets hard, you need to think, remember, and understand that there's more going on than your own personal happiness. Look at your marriage today. Leave this place today seeing your marriage as a reflection of Christ's love for his church. And let that be your motive. Let that be what drives you in your marriage. Get that in your mind. Make this part of how you live. It'll change everything. It really will. Friends, this is Christian spirit-filled marriage. Let's pray.